You are listening to a special episode of the Bondzilla Podcast. This week, we take a deep dive into everything James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, the first true deep dive of uh, 2020 uh, here on the Bond and Zilla podcast. We're back to a normal schedule for us. Uh, so we do have our deep dive episode for this month. I'm Nick. I'm Will. And uh, we had a lot of fun with the the motion pictures that we saw in January and our first uh, motion picture of February, Man, um, Man from Uncle. But It'll be exciting to kind of go back into these little deeper dives because uh, these are always interesting. Uh, we kind of plan them out, but we you know don't really have a sense of direction, so we kind of let the conversation flow freely. I was going to say, don't don't oversell it. Don't, don't. Yeah, <laughs> we don't. We we, we <laughs> never mind. Um, we definitely know what we're doing. Yeah, and you know we're getting closer and closer to. No time to die every single day. We're almost uh, two months out. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. All right. Well. What? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I'm just getting back in the rhythm of yeah. these things. I, so we, have a, we have a little bit of we discussion. Do one, we do one every week. Yeah. But it's like, no, but in terms of the deep dives, like, you know, right? it's a little more personable at the beginning because it's like a little yeah, more, well, you know. Say less- something. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Well, uh, you know, um, there's no Bond stuff at the Oscars, really. Yeah, so. none. Oh, yeah, I guess we did. They played... No, that's not true. Didn't... I thought... Oh, yeah, well, yeah at one point, they did play Live and Let Die as one of the, like, walk-up yeah. like walk musics of, like, you know, when someone won or someone lost. Yeah. You know, someone lost or something. I don't know. You, you don't know? I forget if it was when, like, you know, the playoff music oh, or, like, oh, you if mean it was, like, like, the play-on music oh, or, like, see, like a presenter was coming on board at one time. Live and Let Die played, and then right. Billie Eilish did sing the In Memoriam, but she sang Yesterday by the Beatles, so mm-hmm. still no right. no Bond theme, but No Time to Die, I think, would have been a bad choice for the <laughs> In Memoriam segment. There was a lot of people who was like, like it was like, premiere the, the song, which would have been cool, not going to lie. Yeah. It would well, have been. It would have been pretty I mean, sweet. Like, it really is like, this is the point where we probably will start at least hearing something, because... When you look at like Skyfall Inspectors, like they came just over a month before in that kind of that forty-five day range, right? So we're kind of in that spot now. We're kind of closing in on like the month before, so it should be hearing it soon. Hopefully, yeah. yeah it's, I I don't think it's a it's a coincidence that you know she's well. Obviously, there were there were the Grammys earlier in the year, and then you know the fact. I mean, her being at the Oscars was a little. Um, I will say different and I will, new. Yeah, I will say though, like especially because I've been, you know, I've been rewatching speeches and and the Eminem performance, the greatest moment in Oscar history. Um, and her green hair really does stand out in a crowd. Oh yeah, yeah, her but, entire outfit, yeah. and that's even at the Grammys, that was the yeah. case. Yeah, because- but it's like her, like. Like she's right, she's sitting right behind like Walking Phoenix, right? And Walking Phoenix himself is had like, green hair in Joker. Yeah, so. That's how they're kindred spirits. All right. One really bad tangent before we get into our deep dive has nothing to do with anything. But I was kind of going through when I was like doing work today, I was kind of just going through like old Oscar speeches. 
I happened upon a bunch in a row of like where Walking Phoenix was nominated, mm-hmm. like you like Gladiator and Walk the Line and all that sort of stuff. And the master, you can just see him over time, like younger Walking Phoenix, fresh face, kind of still like into into this. Like it once you the further you get into his career, you can just see the cynicism and like kind of the wildness kind of right. get get from him. So it's just an interesting. Kind I, of I thing. have to say, it is hard to rewatch Signs and. Not because because I like that movie, yeah. but just it's hard to rewatch him in Signs, yeah, because it's a much different person than what you get mm-hmm. later on, yeah, in 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 their in in his career. Mm-hmm. What I was trying to think, if like, is there are any are any of the Bond actors like Oscar material? Well, Connery, ha- Connery has an Oscar. Sure, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Other than other. Uh, I guess I guess him, but now, I'm not saying like for Bond because Connery's was for uh, the Untouchables. Right. Excuse me. I think he was nominated for he's like had a, he had another nomination over his career. Yeah. I think that with the right role, um, if you if he, the thing is like with the right role, if he gives a little bit more of his like stage presence, I could see like Dalton throwing in a good supporting role somewhere. Like like not yeah. not now. Like maybe now. Like if he really wanted to, but like I think. He, like if his career had went differently, like in definitely in that '90s period, I could have seen him putting out like a Oscar performance role. And I mean, like the thing is, is like I think Craig has it in him too. I mean, when you look at Craig's early work, like early indie work, that was always very praised. I think Craig has a good supporting actor, yeah. in him. I like like even like something like I, I think like this was not a year because I think like the act the the acting categories were very strong, especially on on the male side of things this year. But like that was like like not that he would get nom for knives out, but that would be like a thing where it's like maybe like oh like kind of like we'll throw him a bone at one point with that type of role where he kind of is having a little mm-hmm. bit more fun with it, right? Uh, but I think like I think he's definitely what no got you don't, they don't give Oscars for roles that people have fun in. They, they, they don't sometimes they, see, they don't give them they don't give them the roles. Right. Sometimes you'll get that nom in there. Sometimes okay, like, okay fair like enough. Holly fair Hunter in the firm yeah. is having fun playing that. It's a Robbie Downey Jr. in yeah. Tropic Thunder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like those, like they'll they'll give you the nom. Especially, like I mean, sometimes it's when it's like not a strong year, or if there's one like true like this is the performance year, right? Like where they're kind of like, okay, well, we'll we'll like kind of at least give him the nom. You know, let's, we'll just give Robert Downey Jr. a nom. Yeah, yeah. Did you like my Holly Hunter in the Firm reference? Just fine. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's you know, it, it got it out there. Yeah. Now people are gonna. At least, no, but, at the very least, look it up on IMDb. Yeah, traditionally, it's like the Bond villains that have a little bit more Oscar pedigree to yeah. them. Um, yeah, I guess I get. Yeah, I guess like Christoph Waltz, Walken was yeah. was nommed, um, and uh, other actors would become nommed later. That was, was Javier Bardem nominated? Yes. Yeah. For was that for uh, no, no country? country? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yep, so yep, I yep. Rami Malek, of course. Yeah, that was the one thing during the show. When he came up, it's just a man who was just made to be a Bond villain. Yeah, or just like a villain of so, like his, just the way he looks and speaks, mm-hmm. and his presence is it's not it's definitely dastardly. Jonathan Price, yeah, he got nommed this year. He did. He was a Bond villain at one point. That's true. Mm-hmm. That was his moment. Benicio del Toro was a Bond villain. You know, henchman and honeymoon. He he, he won an Oscar. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, there's there's there a, there's a solid history of um, of uh, Bond villains who who get the, those uh, Oscar Oscar I, turns I was, eventually. I, I was thinking when they were going through all like the music cues and everything that it just it made me realize like how much of like how how entrenched I've gotten into like the Godzilla like music and all like the just all like the artistry of Ifakube and yeah. and the rest of his ilk. And just be like, I, I think I think Ifukube deserves to be in in the hall of music and composers that people play if they're uh, going to talk about classic absolutely, music, yeah. absolutely, or a classic cinematic music. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, it's like it is interesting to talk about this year with you know, um, you know, Parasite being a foreign film and its big big wins at the Oscars. But it is very interesting to think like we kind of in a generation of filmgoers where I think we can really try to put that stuff more out there um especially like with stuff like you know like like if a kube scores it's something that he's he's definitely kind of got that legacy and a lot of really good stuff over his entire godzilla career mm-hmm. and it, it's very much like in a john williams and john barry way with if kube where there's a lot of variety in like the music you know it's mm-hmm. it's kind of like yes he does like the the same sort of maybe a similar sound a lot of times but there's a lot of variances within his themes. Um, see that this was what I was looking for just a little bit of a little bit of a tangent before we get into our main main part of the episode. What was the there was another thing I was gonna say where it was like because it was like that and then because it made me think about Shin Godzilla coming out like this this uh this past year. Because I was thinking of, because obviously, what was the, the well, speaking of award shows, what was it that uh, uh, King of the Monsters got its Razzie nomination? <laughs> I no, I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's a joke. Yeah. It, it's it's definitely a joke. The you ra- also called ra- it Shin Godzilla. I was that's why I was no, no I sorry, I because I, I was about to talk about Shin Godzilla. Godzilla. Okay, I was, like, I was about to the, say, I was about to say like no, Shin Godzilla. I, I start, I my apologies. I started by talking about Shin Godzilla, but then it reminded okay. me of Good. the King of the Monsters the thing. Uh, but yeah, no, the, uh, the 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 Razzies don't like deserve any more conversation than I'm giving it right now. Yeah. Uh, but because uh, it was interesting going into it, because like you know. We had talked about like I, I still think probably going back all the way to 2014 is that uh, uh, Godzilla 2014 was probably left out in the visual effects uh, nominate uh, like race uh, for for the Oscars because I I would say like if I went back and looked at that one that was a definitely one that should have been in consideration. Uh, just hands down, just like ex- excellent work for all the directorial things that we had previously said in that movie. And I was one of the people who was kind of like, like looking forward to um, where King of the Monsters would lie into that. And I'm a fan of all the work done in King of the Monsters, but it, it falls short, ju- just slightly short of me like really fighting for it, like oh, being part of, part of that race. But um, I believe Shin Godzilla was definitely in its Japanese uh, equivalent to the Academy Awards, right, really, yeah. given that. What? No, I, I said yes, it did oh, win. Oh, yeah. it, it won, like, Best Film at, like, the Japan's, right. like, big film awards show. So, and then that was, like, also a big thing about how, like, masterful its visual effects are. And I would actually agree with that on Shin Godzilla, that Shin Godzilla was probably, like, you could put that in our race for visual effects, and I think you know, that would be a contender for one of the best visual effects done that year, Yeah, I would say. Mm-hmm. But 
you know. Yeah, because I'm looking at 2014's Visual Fest Oscar list right now. Um, it was Interstellar one, of course, because it's Interstellar. Right. It's a prestige film. Uh, but it was like Winter Soldier, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Guardians, and X Men: Days of Future Past. Yeah. Yeah. Solid list. Yeah, I mean that's not a bad list. I mean it's well, I mean the lists are never bad. It's just the winners are sometimes bad. No, I'm just kidding because you know. Hey, you respect the golden compass. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's fine. I mean, somebody, somebody here, somebody here needs to give actual respect to people who work in visual effects. And, but and to bring it back to Bond real quick, <laughs> last Oscar talk, it is funny that we still, you know, it's like one of those categories that's always talked about is, you know, it's never really been a thing. But the, the one that everybody says like should be the next category if they ever add another one um, is like a stunt effects or stunt work type of category. Um, that was always been the one that people talk about. And I just kind of think about it because that's like a thing that like older Bond films would have definitely like swept up if that category existed at yeah. the time too. Um, but that's it. Do people really want that? I mean, I guess they do. Yeah, because it like... was the last time, this is like Oscar nerd stuff, but the last time that they, um, it was like early 2010s maybe there was a proposal on the table to add best stunts and best titles um <laughs> what best but, titles like best like the title card like that you know that type oh of i would I, I was i was hoping yeah i knew what you meant but i, I was hoping that it right. was like well i guess what is the best title yeah. what is the best titled movie yeah. this year I can't tell. Go you. go. Wh- uh, which one? Twenty twenty. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Well, we we can't choose Harley Bird, Quinn now. Birds of Prey already has two titles. <laughs> yeah. No, I was about to say it has it has two titles. Um. Yeah. I I can't. Is everything? No. Go. Keep going. Okay. I don't know. Don't don't pay no attention to the man on, on the on the on the no. But that was board. Well, outside of the the best achievement in popular film nonsense that happened last year, right. Um, the last time that was on the table was like stunt work was actually decently close, but they uh, they did not add any more categories. Mm. So, but that's the one that that people talk about most. I think the the Oscars are fine as they are, but if they were going to add one, that would probably be the next most in demand one from from yeah. from the scuttlebutt. That's what they are. They're just fine. They're absolutely one hundred percent just fine. Yeah, I mean it's like I've I've definitely come come down from my Oscar high horse. Mm-hmm. Not that I like, I like was like looked down at the Oscars, but like I used to, I well notice this. I used to be a big like Oscar night nerd, and I was like, you know, you still are. I don't know what is this ruse well, you're playing. Like well, you, you still are. Look at you. You I already will, you know all the factoids and like. Well, the, I mean, but I mean, like I used to really be in the lead up and really be in like like the nomination stuff and what was going to be there. And this, I was, I was just was like, oh, it's what gets nom gets nom, but wins wins. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like sure. it was a little bit more that way. Sure. Okay, but it was a fun show this year. Mm-hmm. It was Anyways, fine. it was fine, uh, a but lo- a little bit longer in, in the preamble than but, I expected. But. but speaking of Oscars, yeah, one of the awards that they direct in Oscars is obviously best director. Yeah, they do direct that award. Yeah, and you know who also directs directors direct Bond movies. Bond movies. Yeah. And- so uh, <laughs> our our first uh, deep dive of twenty twenty. Uh, is going to be focused on the uh, Bond directors and the kind of history of Bond directors um, for a couple reasons. One, that um, 
I've listened back to our Godzilla directors episode, and I thought that was a very interesting uh, deep dive into though you know the, the history of those directors. And I feel like Bond is has a very specific director history in and of itself. It, it's very kind of unique in terms of its franchise and you know just the types of directors and 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 kind of the two distinct eras of directors, which I'll talk about. Um, but what I also kind of wanted to to delve into was. Um, kind of the future of this franchise and kind of we're, we're taking a look now we're getting close to no time to die the end of the Craig era we don't know what's next so um, I always say that like once we get to April once we see no time to die we are going to do a deep dive on the Bond actors and kind of figure out you know what directions we would want to see them take with this one but I feel like in this lead up to no time to die it would be interesting to look at the history of the Bond directors and kind of see in some ways how it's similar to to the Godzilla thing where it's kind of a a, a for a long time, it's just a few names that circle it, you mm-hmm. know, kind of the like with one or a couple names in in and out. But there's a few names that just circle with, you know, multiple directors have done multiple films for the Bond franchise, especially in the Cubby Broccoli era. So I feel like just to start with, there's kind of two distinct eras of directors. There's like the Cubby Broccoli era of directors where he really kind of keeps it into the is kind of not necessarily always in-house, but just kind of his circle. The, mm-hmm. the, the directors that he's kind of very comfortable with, it's very, you know, over Cubby's long tenure from 62 to 89 in charge of the franchise, there's really only um, five directors that touch the Bond films. That's a very, very lengthy period of time to have five directors. Once you get to, once Barbara takes over with Goldeneye, there you kind of see a little bit more variety, but there are some similarities to that. I mean, that's kind of how Godzilla was, you know, in that Showa era, you really had your Hondas, your June Fukudas, and your odd, you know, your odd and end kind of, you know, Hedora type of movies mm-hmm. where people were coming in and out of that. Whereas, like, once you get to kind of Hasty and into sh- into uh, Millennium, you definitely do have a little bit more variety in those directors, but you still kind of see they all kind of come from somewhat similar backgrounds. It would be, like, just overall, if you were to think about the Bond franchise. So, like, what would you say is, like, a common trend in the franchise with directors in the sense that, like, if you look at, for two examples, if you look at um, the Godzilla franchise, I would say up until recently, into the modern age, yeah. I, I would definitively label it as in-house. Very much like the, they kind of like go through like familiar faces and familiar voices, uh, mostly because of like the production. Um, timeline of all of the movies is right. that they were just pumping them out yeah. so when they couldn't get honda then they got fakuda and fakuda just jumped onto the next one and then they bring back honda again and then you know the some of the people who work who have worked on it have worked on future films have worked on the special effects or the writing yeah. and it, it just seems like very in-house up until the modern age and then another example of that if you were to think of a big trend it would be uh, if you say like, let's take the Marvel movies for example, yeah. which I would say like the big trend would be, for the most part, picking, um, not necessarily that the, because when you think about it, they don't always pick like the hottest name, but they pick like like the cool name, yeah, but that uh that has humble beginnings, if, if, yeah, that has just enough under their belt that they're 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 just blossoming in the public eye. And, like, if you look at, like, you know, your Taikas, your Kuglers, your, or yeah. even going more niche than that, you get your um, 
I'm blanking on their names, the Russos, who, you know, are famous more and like because they do community and everything. So there there's a lot of like for Marvel, it's a lot of like finding uh, these weird niche b- yeah. budding choices and Godzilla's in house. So what would you say is like the big kind of encompassing yeah, thing about I, I was directors going, I mean and now we'll go through the directors uh, but I was when I was going through all the directors of the Bond films I found what was most interesting is a commonality with e- all the eras of Bond directors with with you know an exception here or there is a distinct lack of experience with actual action cinema mm-hmm. um, very much they like to take act, uh, um, they like to take directors who have done more dramatic work uh, who have done more independent or smaller films. Um, definitely, I mean, definitely British or New Zealand is definitely the trend as well. I mean, Don't Time to Die is going to be Eon's first American director. Mm-hmm. And that was almost, in in some senses, just kind of, you know, a sense of we need somebody. But still, I mean, Fuganaga was a, a good choice mm-hmm. in that sense. But it's very much like Fuganaga was a very good example. I mean, yes, he like direct you know he directed the uh, true detective which is a little bit more kind of thrillerist had some actiony stuff but then you know his major other film that he did before no time to die was beasts of no nation which is very much kind of again drama heavy drama not really like an action film but more it's just kind of drama socially minded mm-hmm. type of movie and i feel like that's very much a history throughout all the bond directors i mean even those you know the main original three of Terrence Young, Guy Hamilton, and Lewis Gilbert, the the original kind of crew that did the multiple films for them. Uh, I mean, Terrence Young and Hamilton were very much their closest thing was kind of war movies, uh, more so I think than else. But could, but Guy really went between kind of war movies and a little bit more kind of dark comedy, comedy drama stuff. And then Lewis Gilbert was very much like a drama person. Like he, you know, his most famous work before Bond was the Oscar-nominated Alfie, which was a romantic comedy drama about a womanizer who was finally facing the consequences of his womanizing ways. And you, you get to that basically all through, even when you get to, like, you know, Martin Campbell's gonna kind of doing TV thrillers and um, you know, our director for uh, uh, World Is Not Enough, you know, was chosen because he worked with, you know, he had multiple films where women were nominated for Academy Awards. Like, that was basically it. Lee Tamahori for uh, Dino the Day, did like a, you know, a kind of gang movie, like a, a New Zealand gang movie that's kind of, again, smaller. We were once were warriors or whatever it was. So basically that's kind of what they look for, and that's what I think Barbara continues to look for. And again, you have your, your other choices in there. Like, you know, I'm sure, like, you know, Sam Mendes is probably the most experienced director to do that. And I think that's other the other thing that they do. They do definitely choose experienced directors, but they tend to, again, choose experienced directors that don't necessarily have not done things like Bond. Mm-hmm. They try to kind of get that alternate viewpoint. Do you think it's it's there's a correlation between that and how they choose the the Bond actor? Yes, where yes, it's absolutely. Like definitely not a hot name, right? Because because most of the pretty much all the time with the Bond actors, it's very much someone who has never had like a mainstream established role that they, you know, have either come from out of nowhere, basically like Connery did. Um, uh, or they were basically more TV-based, like more in Brosnan were, uh, or stage-based like Dalton was, or independent cinema-based like, you know, um, Craig was, or plucked literally out of nowhere like uh, Lazenby was. Like, they basically, for their Bond actors, they do not star cast, and the directors, they kind of have gone that way too, 
with like really like Mendez being the one exception, they really haven't gone with like really like like Oscar winning names. Or well, they really haven't like, gone like like names that maybe have had attention that have had definitely like, um, you know, praise to them, but not necessarily like the names that you would like expect. Like they really haven't taken like other than Mendez, like, you know. The Christopher Nolans, oh, or like, I, I, or like the Edgar Wrights, they really I, haven't taken those types of names. I would actually say that Fuganaga is probably the first. I would argue the first, quote unquote, the closest to a mainstream name that, like, that a recognizable like mainstream name in term in, in the circles of film. Because I felt like, because Mendez, yeah, I know, but like Fuganaga had that, like, you know, that hot streak of. You know the true detective. true detective and like Beast of No Nation and like here was like a hot name that everybody was looking at mm-hmm. what they wanted to do and was easily on the list of like lists of uh uh get him to do this movie or get him to do this type of franchise and I just felt like he was he was in he was in the public eye for film people for a while for so for him to get that role and it's the first time especially out of doing all of this that I've heard a name for a director that was so recognizable, even it's slight, slightly like that, uh, seriously tossed around because you hear the Nolans and you hear the right, you, you hear like the basic, like you hear like everybody, basic British director. Yeah. The, whatever the, uh, the director equivalent to getting Nathan Fillion into every movie is what film Twitter did is like, yeah. it's just like, it's just like, Oh, who's a hot director. We want to see take on this franchise. Yeah. That's what everybody did. And yeah, I feel like none of those were taken seriously. This was the first time where I'm like, Ooh, that's like a name. I, that I do I, feel like taken I, seriously. even more so like Fuku, Nagua is very much like the first time they've really done like a true up and coming director or like an up and co- like like a, a hot name in that sense. Yes, because I think about like even like Mendez does have that kind of star power because he had like the Oscar win for American Beauty and he did like Road to Bred- like he had like more established films under his work. But you're you're kind of in that sense right that is basically like you know. Very much like he was very much the first of any of that type. Mm-hmm. But even like the other stuff, like, yes, you definitely, I'm not going to discount like whatever all these other directors did. I mean, you know, you had definitely varied stuff with that. But, you know, like Roger Spottiswood, who did Tomorrow Never Dies, very much like a person that they needed to plug in because of that quick production. But he was like, you know, had a very lengthy career. You know, like I said, he did Turner and Hooch and Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. He was an editor. That's another actually big thing. Um, generally speaking, they also traditionally, not all their directors, but they do have a long history of, of getting directors that have, uh, editing experience or, Mm. or are noted for the editing in their films. Because when, when the time, the times that they have gone, the times that they have gone in house were both times their editors where Peter R. Hunt, uh, was the editor for those first, um, four or five Bond movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then gets up to do Honor Master's Secret Service. And same thing with John Glenn, who directs all five Bond movies of the 80s. And Glenn actually is the one who's directed the most Bond movies with five, uh, just beating out Glenn Hamilton or Guy Hamilton's four. But, uh, you know, Glenn was the editor for many of those Bond movies after Hunt left to do his directing career. And it was basically his editing and his work on getting the stunt sequences together that, that boosted him up. And same thing with... Spottiswood had that editing kind of backed into him. Even even early on, Terrence Young, 
his early war movies were noted for their editing. So when they teamed him up for Peter Hunt for that first movie, it really created a distinct editing thing. So there's definitely a history of, of that coming mm-hmm. coming into that as well. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of what's always been interesting. And it's always been interesting in the same thing that I when you know I I, I think we've talked about it in the past in terms of casting Bond. We'll definitely talk about it in on our, our eventual deep dive on the Bond actors. But just like they don't star cast Bond, there very much is this thing where it's like, you know, people will always say like, you know, you know, film Twitter or whatever. It was just kind of keep pulling out the, the same old names that they It's not see. Bond. I mean, that's just kind of yeah, like but anybody. It's just, no, but it's, it rarely do anybody it, suggest that. And that's what's kind choice. of even interesting to think about in terms of like where Bond could go in terms of directors is that you kind of never really know where they're going to pluck from. Right. Um, because I think like they always are looking for something different, I think. And that's kind of what I think Barbara has taken most from her father is that kind of the way to look at filmmaking and the way it look at filmmakers and kind of try to take something different. Yeah. I mean, and you know, like you, you basically can go through the whole history of it. I mean, I can mention every director that's ever made a film, but like, you know, if you, in, in like a film just yeah. in history, well, but it's like, <laughs> like if you're, if you're trying to say like who, who should be making a bond movie in 2008 when they're doing quantum of solace, like film people in that time are not going to say, Oh, the guy who did finding Neverland. Mm-hmm. Like they're not going to say that. No, sure. Yeah. It's, uh, that's why it's kind of really hard to even like determine what a realistic like, yeah. uh, uh, option yeah. w- would, would be for it. But I do think, I mean, it's kind of funny that we're mentioning this at, in some senses, it's easy to kind of say like, oh, the Bond directors are kind of in the background because they don't necessarily have that name attached to them or, you know, like, yeah, definitely like young Hamilton and, and, and Lewis Gilbert, you know, did other things, you know, and but they're kind of most associated with, with Bond more right. than anything else. But it, it's definitely not to discredit the influence that those directors had on the vision of the franchise because especially those original kind of directors in the Cubby era – definitely leave their mark on kind of how the franchise is built and and their strengths and what they bring to the franchise. And I think that's always been an interesting part, especially because those early directors, other than Hunt, all had multiple films to really put their their mark on it. Uh, and, and Campbell later on does get that same opportunity. Yes, they're not back-to-back, but, you know, Mark Campbell doing Goldeneye and then Casino Royale is very much in that spirit of the Hamilton and and Young and Gilbert era where it's like you do kind of really leave your mark on the franchise but having multiple opportunities to kind of really put your vision out there on the page and mm-hmm. I think that you know it's like and um I definitely think that it's important to kind of note those contributions because I think it's easy to again think of the franchise and I think this happens with with a lot of franchises it happens with Marvel Star Wars Star Trek sometimes where you just kind of like you kind of forget that these are still being made by people that they're just kind of like, you think that it's like, Oh, they go through the machine and they're just kind of put out there because they're a franchise and there's mm-hmm. multiple movies, but there really is an inf- a direct influence um, with these, with these films and these directors and, and how they, you know, create bond as bond. Right. And it doesn't happen that way. If like young, cause like, you know, Terrence young, brings his own kind of coolness his suaveness he he molds connery to being that iconic presence in that first dr no movie and then only expands upon it within from russia with love and really kind of puts it on the forefront and then hamilton 
when he starts with Goldfinger brings his sense of dark humor and his you know his kind of more even ups the sexuality in some ways which he was kind of known for in his own dark comedies to really kind of bring the whole Bond package together in some ways and then later on like Gilbert and knowing Gilbert's career before and after it's always super impressive to me that Louis Gilbert is kind of the best of those early Bond directors at the scope and the scale because he does you know he has the big volcano scent in uh, You Only Live Twice he has the super tanker he does Moonraker and he basically like creates these huge sense of scales when the rest of his career is very much very much small scale movies and personal movies, and so I'm always kind of impressed with that. But they all kind of bring that to the forefront, um, and even even Glenn kind of gets a little bit like, yes, like he's definitely a little bit more of a the in-house kind of guy, especially because they get really comfortable in, in those '80s films, those later more in the Dalton films. But he does get the sense of like his his um, his experience with the stunt team and his experience editing those stunt sequences together. I think especially in uh, License to Kill, The Living Daylights, and um, For Your Eyes Only, I think, really bring that to the forefront. And I think Glenn is a little bit more based on the material he's worked with. You know, I think like, even Young can kind of pull things out a little bit from from his material, especially in Dr. No. But uh, I think Glenn deserves that kind of recognition, too. And then remind me name of uh, Casino Royale's director again. Uh, the 2006 one, right? Yes. <laughs> Because 67 has a lot of directors. Yeah. <laughs> um, Martin Campbell. So Martin yeah. Campbell does Goldeneye and Casino Royale. He does both of those movies. So it's interesting because Martin Campbell being one of the few directors that I would say, it's like, oh, I can pinpoint kind of like what his interests are as a director yeah. when it comes to these Bond films. And uh, especially, you know, the Bond films that he have tackled. Uh, he str- always has struck, struck me as the one who has the most underrated, diverse like approach uh to to the films yeah uh just because because he also directed um gold gold yeah. yeah yeah so he basically has the two kind of the 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 90s reinvention and then the major reinvention right. with craig but i i actually think the difference between those two movies is a very underrated uh aspect oh of yeah, him yeah because they're both there is definitely a quality of him as a director taking that time to focus on the character of Bond as much as those movies allow you to do. But tonally and visually speaking, very different to the point that you would think it was made by two different people with like uh, a certain aspect of it being the commonality between the two. Yeah, and I think that's very much intentional of um, Campbell's just personality because the whole thing about... Campbell is that you know he's very successful with with uh, Goldeneye and basically like you know before that he had done like a British TV miniseries that was kind of you know doing New Zealand stuff he's a you know New Zealand based director and then kind of being plucked into this Bond world and this major reinvention this major success and he's you know of course invited to do Tomorrow Never Dies and he essentially says I don't want to do the same thing twice and so when he gets that call again from from Barbara Broccoli to do um casino royale and he see you know because it, it kind of his thought process was very similar it's like well i've already done my bond movie but then seeing that oh this is different than the last one i did i can make this even more different i can put a different spin on it i think that's definitely his you know his person well, his like, filmic personality is but, like but he, can you think of a director who when they come back to the material have that completely different point of view of it the closest i can think maybe 
is Sam Raimi with the Evil Dead films. Mm -hmm. And that still is not that striking of a difference. You can tell that there's a different approach with the material by the time you get to two than it was with one, but it's, it's... that's the biggest leap that I, I can think of because this would be like if Taika made Thor one and then also made Thor Ragnarok, you know, like it would be like, it's almost like you, I guarantee that people would not expect that golden eye and casino Royale are directed by the same person. And I, I think that is, it's very, it's very distinctive too, because I think, um, you know, like those other directors that have done multiple films for bond specifically, like you can kind of tell, like, you know a Guy Hamilton film, you know, compared to like even a Gilbert film in some ways. Like they all still kind of are similar aesthetics because again, you basically have a Corian team right. throughout all those. But like just kind of knowing, especially if you've looked at all of them, like, you know, you can definitely tell like Guy is a little bit more out there with his humor and his his very bad female characters. And like Gilbert's again got that bigger scale, that little bit more of that personal drama, especially like in stuff like um Especially in his later two, in Spider Love Me with Agent Triple X, and even with Moonraker, there's a little bit more of that kind of personal stuff with with Jaws in that movie too. Um, but like Campbell is, be- yeah, you're completely right. Is that Campbell should be regarded as as is a very impressive feat because mm-hmm. you know it's like again, it's not just doing two different movies, but it's doing two different movies that are starting eras. It's two different movies. He that re- are- he he basically rebooted it twice. Yes, essentially, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, and um, and I think like you know you can kind of tell like the the action is well directed in those films, and I think you know they 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 have a good pace, and I definitely think Goldeneye, you know we we've kind of feel Goldeneye is, is an all timer, and Casino Royale is like very close, kind of has some some little issues along the way in that movie, but both of them very much like, and they're both huge successes, and they both really start off these eras, the, the new eras with a bang. I think it would take me because I going back to what your comment about um, that it's easy to think that all these movies are just kind of churned through through a machine, and I, I'm definitely on board with your thinking about that. That you know, the, I, I think that you always need to give the benefit of the doubt that like you know that there are, you know people really working on these to to make them. It, it's just easy to get jaded by that aspect of it. The, the Bond franchise, though, is interesting, though, because it doesn't, in all fairness for me, it doesn't quite have that movie-to-movie uh, leap that mm-hmm. that you can distinctly tell, like, who's directing which type of movie. And that's why I think it would take me multiple views, especially for those early yeah, I films. Think, I think that's, like, my yeah. kind of advantage. No, absolutely. Like, I definitely, I, I definitely think that the thing about Bond is... And it kind of runs, I guess, what people think about Marvel, and in some senses, it's kind of the way. Is because because Marvel, the whole thing is because they have their cinematic universe. You know, yes, they have all the different directors that, you know, put their stamp on these films. But they are there is a sense of a continuity between them, despite the fact that they are you know different directors. Right. Like, there's still like a similar, uh, you know, there's similarities between all the movies, even between directors. Where oh, th- well, it, it's the same thing with Pixar, where I would argue that Pixar tonally and what they always get at is pretty much universal throughout the whole movies. There is a style to a Pixar yeah. movie, and some there's some tropes of the Pixar movie, but 
when you watch the movie and you know the directors, especially like when you have Brad Bird as a director, you can watch each one of those movies and see where the priorities are yeah. in, in each movie, especially when you watch like some of the, yeah. like, and it, like the early Lassiter movies and things like that. You yeah. can just tell where, tell the, where the things are. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's like similar with Bond in, in the sense, again, because it's all Eon was doing was making these Bond movies. And especially within that Cubby era, you basically had the same people coming in every time and just maybe, you know, pulling in the director to put, you know, their little bit of stamped on it. Um, you definitely kind of feel that, you know, the Bond movies all exist in this kind of similar world, especially within that, with that Cubby era. Um, but to, but cause you were saying because you're, it's probably because you're more familiar with the movies mm-hmm. overall that you can notice the differences. And I think that you're absolutely right because I have that feeling about the modern age of movies where it's like, because I've seen them so many times, I'm the more familiar yeah. for uh, with the Craig era that I can kind of see director wise because, and it, it, it kind of helps when you also have had a director do more than one movie. So then you can notice the trends a little bit more. So, you know, you have, um, so you have Casino Royale and then you have, um, uh, Mendes's stuff. Yeah. yeah, but no, I was thinking of uh, Forster. Yeah, Forster uh, does um, Quantum. Does Quantum, which do- does kind of stand out as, for lack of a better term, probably the most bland of, of the films. Yeah, I mean, uh, as obviously like that was kind of hindered by the writer's strike sure. and and Forster and Craig having to do it, and then Craig regretting writing, and then Forster being like, "I want the four elements in this movie." Right. Right. Uh, so you have that, and then it's, so then you have uh, Mendez come in and do two films, yeah. and then automatically, if you look back in retrospect, you see that Mendez is definitely uh, a, like wants to add a little bit more visual stylings mm-hmm. to certain scenes, way more willing to have fun and humor with it. It's not quite to the humor level that maybe I would want, but definitely at the time there was a sense of like, oh, this movie. Clearly, it, it was definitely a, a a change in pace. Yeah, uh, that uh, we're going to start cracking jokes in these movies now, and yeah. you can see that that was extended into Spectre, and you can always uh, through Skyfall and Spectre, a little bit of the dabbling with like let's get a little bit like bigger with like some of the gadgets, and even if we're going to tease some things, maybe some of the stunts. There was definitely a more, and it's funny, and then when you get into like the whole like 1917 and like the whole like one take thing and how like massive like of a of a of a spectacle it was even though it was a war film i think that was like the biggest thing it's like there were huge stunts in casino royale and huge stunts in um in quantum but specter and skyfall really feel like the blockbusters yes of, of those movies yeah 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 yeah. And i feel like i mean i also feel like there's kind of that distinction in terms of like especially within the modern era, because um, we're kind of getting that same way where the Godzilla films were. You where you start having kind of a mixture of people who are fans making it, right? And people who aren't like or don't know. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing about like Campbell is kind of ambivalent. Like he's just kind of like he likes he likes working on Goldeneye, but he's still kind of like ambivalent to Bond. So he's just kind of like has can bring that kind of different view to yeah, it he has no qualms about flipping right. the script on right it. yeah whereas like like but he still had like a familiarity with bond whereas like forrester had no familiarity with bond but like was basically again asked by craig to do it because craig like working with him before and um or craig wanted to work with him so basically he's just basically like well i'm just gonna do my whole old thing because i don't have any really 
place to put like Bond in history. I'm just gonna make a movie. And then Mendez is a Bond fan. It is is a noted Bond fan. So kind of bringing in a little bit more of that blockbustery feel, I'm sure, was very much intentional and in, in, in a means of kind of bringing back kind of sort of the feelings of stuff like probably stuff that he enjoyed growing up, like stuff like Thunderball and sure. and and Gold Goldfinger, and just like that sort of big tone yeah. to it. It's just interesting because that's how, in my experience, that's what's interesting about following a director's career. It's like. You see these movies, and then you see, um, and then you see him do 1917, in which like there is a big spectacle to it. So clearly, that's where some of his priorities were. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always go back to Sam Raimi doing Drag Me to Hell after the uh, after the Spider Man movies, and there is a level of you can tell that like this guy's just letting loose and like yeah. letting his full Raimi out, and you can see. And then when you retroactively uh, go back and watch like something like Spider Man three. And, and, you know, I'm not trying to get on – this isn't meant as a, as a dig at the movie because, you know, it, it has its fans. But there is a level of you watch that movie and you can kind of see, like, ooh, Sam Raimi's itching to play around with some toys. He's he's ready to get yeah. back to his campy way, like, even more so than – because there there's a, a couple things of camp in those previous Spider-Man movies. But in 3, I always feel that there's a little bit of, like – Ooh, something's ready. A monster's ready to come out, and then you see drag me to hell, and then you're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> there he is." That's actually a real. I've never really considered that analysis. Oh really? That's, yeah, I, I think about that all the time. Yeah, but I mean, I you, you kind of. I mean, to be perfectly fair, though, I mean, Martin Campbell does follow up Casino Royale with Green Lantern, so I don't know. That's a direct comparison. That that's true because then you have the. Um, but no, I don't know because I mean, you because you. I was just making a Green Lantern joke. No, but no, but it it is interesting because as a director, it could just be like, well, now you're getting into, you know, the the big budget, high profile franchise filmmaking. And maybe that's just Mm -hmm. where I mean, Kerry Fukunaga doing this, we kind of have said that like Bond is in that interesting place where whether it's deserving or not, it kind of has become that blockbuster uh that blockbuster or main popular franchise that has a little bit of the prestige to it that you have directors saying like, Oh, I would do that. Like you have Nolan like saying that, Oh yeah, I would do that because there's something about bond that doesn't quite have like, it's not like a star war. It's not a Marvel. It's not a DC. I do think that is the interesting thing about coming into bond as a director is that even with this whole history over 50 years, we're going to get to 25 films there still is very much a level of a variety of Bond. Like, there really is, like, very much like, yeah, with the Star Wars, you know, or even a Marvel, there's kind of like, you know, like, you can play with the world a little bit, but there is still a box you're you're playing in. Whereas it feels like with the whole Bond franchise, you know, we've had the funnier guy films, we've had the more serious, you know, Campbell movies, mm. you know, we've had kind of... B- Gilbert's made it bigger, and then Glenn went to go smaller. Like, you know, you can kind of do bigger and smaller Bond movies, and th- there definitely is a little bit more room to play with in some sense of the word. I'm still. See, I, I think you and I know that. I don't ever get a sense that the filmmakers let themselves uh, uh, utilize that information. Especially, and, and maybe, especially now. Yeah. I think you still had it a little bit with, like, Especially with the freedom in that Brosnan era, I feel like all four of those films kind of have a little bit of like you know, 
goal. I mean, and Tomorrow Never Dies is, is still like kind of in a weird sense because of how rushed that production was. But just like Goldeneye to World Is Not Enough to um, Die Another Day, which is definitely Die Another Day is definitely a director letting himself just play in a sandbox, right? And sure, going sure. Big. Yeah, I feel like the Brazen era kind of gets that done, and I feel like. You know, I feel like kind of just the old, yes, in some ways, like the way that those older Bond films were directed and made, like you don't really, it's not as apparent, but I do definitely think that like when you look at like, you know, like Lewis Gilbert getting a chance to play with those bigger sets and you're looking at sure, like, sure, especially like, or, or when you look at like the development of those Guy Hamilton films, whereas like Goldeneye is very much kind of really a mixture of like the, the Terrence Young cool, like it's Goldeneye or Goldfinger, excuse me. Goldfinger is Guy Hamilton taking that Terrence Young coolness and kind of injecting it with like kind of a a humorous steroid. Whereas once you get to like later and and Guy really comfortable with Bond and you get to like Live and Let Die and Man with the Golden Gun, where those films are a lot more kind of Guy's brand of just crazy gadgets, crazy stunts, crazy humor. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like kind of like you kind of see that a little bit in those movies, but I do feel that, you know, I, I feel like in some ways it's really been the Craig era. That's kind of been a little bit more restrained because of the very much down the earth nature. Yeah. That those movies have taken, um, because I feel like, you know, there's going to be, there is a substance of directors out there somewhere that definitely want to, want to see like a world domination plot in a bond movie again. I don't know if like, that's what like Nolan wants to do, but but Nolan does also very said distinctly that he, if he did a Bond movie, he'd want it to be the first of a new Bond. Yeah, like he does not want to play I, and someone else's. And I should have to say there. those have been the most uh, that those have been the strongest directed movies in my opinion. And and well, yeah, be like any time that they restart a, a Bond mm-hmm. um, has been the best directed movies. I yeah. would say because I think that um, like I because you know me, I'm not the biggest fan of Casino Royale. Yeah. But I would argue that there is a good chance thus far that it is possibly the strongest directed yeah. uh, of of the films. To I, I think I, I would hear out that argument. No, um, I, I actually think this is a very, very interesting. Like what? Thing. What's the the first Dalton one? The Living Daylight. Yeah, very well directed. Very I, well. I I think some. I think well, the first half of that movie is some of the best. It's actually Bond very stuff. funny when you say that because that's really because again that's a Glenn movie. But Glenn, his previous three, and I I think that um, for your eyes only is also Glenn's probably best pure directing. I think overall. Um, but what's really interesting about like the Living Daylights is because with those previous three, those were all more films. So he's basically inheriting you know, more and kind of the more tropes right. of those movies, whereas, like, Glenn really gets a chance to put his stamp on it with Living Daylights, and same thing with, with Michael G. Wilson in that movie. And I would even argue that, in a technical sense, I would say that Lewis Gilbert gets that sense, too, because, yes, his first movie is um, You Only Live Twice, which has a myriad of problems, n- not really, like, more script problems than anything else. But you could also consider that when you know, he comes in to do Spy Who Loved Me, that is essentially kind of like a a big reset because it's the whole thing. They were coming off that Saltzman lawsuit. They were kind of like gone for a couple years. And then Gilbert comes in and it's like his whole thing about that movie is like, well, more you've been kind of in this mix of like you want to do your own thing, but you've been kind of put into this Connery mold. Let's have you like spread your wings a little bit. So even that's kind of like, 
you know, Gilbert kind of reinventing that, and then you do Campbell with with both Goldeneye and Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely, and and I will say Terrence Young with those first two, I you know Doctor No, and you know whether it may be Doc. I think From Russia with Love is a much better directed movie for Young, but there is so much credit to be had of Young just coming out of the gate swinging with Doctor No and really establishing Bond as its own unique voice yeah. um, in that movie. Um, and because it, cause you're right, the first movie at the gate had secret layers, like uh, megalomaniacal bad guys, like it, it, yeah. it had all that stuff. And, 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 it. and it's just really, it's like, you know, it's, it's, and it's Young's direction of Connery. And, and Connery very much has said that like Terrence Young's direction and his mentorship was very much big in its establishing him just as an actor. Because again, like if we go back to Connery's career at this point, yeah, he had, you know, his, you know, he had been kind of doing smaller bits in, in British cinema, kind of, you know, had that one break on TV, but then he gets the Disney movie. And then from there, it's like, oh, you're immediately going to be the star. And, you know, Connery does credit Terrence Young with really molding him on that film and really kind of bringing out like what his bond was and what really would become like Connery in a lot of ways. So, you're very much right that, like, you know, I, I think that's probably the most appealing to most directors is kind of like really establishing the foothold on what the new bond or this new vision or whatever yeah. may be. You know, it, it, there really is kind of, you know, the bright eyes. And I think there are definitely directors who want to come in and kind of take this previous state of established thing and, and mold it a little bit. I definitely, you know, that would probably be the type. Oh, I, I'm definitely not saying the people who have kind of continued yeah, it, the franchise have been weak. It's just right. interesting that but I is, would probably say that the ones where it's like the fresh take on Bond have been the yeah. strongest, yeah. more yeah, refreshingly that's, directed. That's, that's very true. Um, and the other thing I want to say, because not because I don't want to throw it under the but it's just the nature of like this specific franchise. Because I think if you look at the the Marvel films, the DC films, uh, it, it, I, this is more so with a lot of recent uh, franchises. Horror films actually have always kind of had this thing where it is kind of very telling when different directors come in and like they have a different take on it. Like so uh, that so horror films have had this for a while. But what I will say about the Bond franchise that while I I wouldn't say that from a director's uh, work that the films stand out strongly for me film by film, but I will give credit that that series of directors have cemented and molded Bond into the big legacy that we know it. And each one of those directors who have stepped in to just add a little bit of a piece to the puzzle, like, uh, um, has created Bond to be like the big legacy yeah. that it is today. And again, so e- each of these directors, while I would say like as the movies may not have stood out to me, it's like this is who they are as directors, but they have uh, given a little piece of themselves to make this entire franchise come to life. And that and that's no and that that's something not to scoff at. And I do think that's a very unique proposition because I think Bond. And I think this is something I really, really realized over the course of this podcast. Bond is really its own unique beast of a franchise in so many different ways. Because when we talk about like Marvel and DC, or we talk about like even like even like stuff like Star Trek, it's like yeah, it's like they have their franchises, but they're so big and varied in many ways. And even like Star Wars has gotten that way even before like the Disney era of that that franchise. 
And like I feel like what's so unique about Bond is it really is like one character mm-hmm. in all these different adventures that you know mo- for most of his career weren't really continuity heavy. You know, maybe had you know occasionally like you had a Jaws come through or had a had a reference to his his wife. You know, it, it reference to Tracy, but really, you know, it's these twenty five films of all these unique individual adventures. And you're playing with the same character, and then you're basically. You're playing with the same core group. You have your Bond, you have your Q, you have your Money Penny, you have your M, and then everything else is completely different, and right. completely new. And I feel like that's kind of sometimes a tough thing to come into and and direct, and, right? And, and 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 because you really do have kind of you know a legacy to play with, especially now you have this kind of legacy to play with, but also it's basically like you kind of have well, you have Bond, and what are you going to do? Well, I would say just to to clarify, it's a franchise that it's the sum of all of its parts, yes. meaning that like no matter where you stand on these other franchises, we have heard many times that maybe you're not a Marvel fan, but you like the Taika one. Yeah. Like you like the you like the you like Ragnarok because yeah. it's like you like you you may not be a Star Wars fan, but you love Ryan Johnson's one. It's like yeah. so those are franchises that have kind of become this thing where Oh, people have, and we've heard people point out these are the specific ones we like them because we like the, what a director did with this character, mm-hmm. or we liked what they did with this entry. Bond is kind of that one where everybody, this whole l- line of directors, have kind of chipped in to m- keep on molding this character into the big uh, mm-hmm. uh, mainstay yeah. that he is, and that's what makes it, uh, yeah. it interesting. And and all those and all those choices. You're right. If you go back and dissect all these movies, they are all these little avant-garde, unique choices that the director has made, or these little things that you may not be able to pinpoint in the grand scheme of things. But if you put the microscope to it, you would definitely be. I mean, listen, like the we make fun of it all the time. The slide whistle is it's a total guy Hamilton move. It's it's a product of some unique direction, and but that's what. But just that little piece is ingrained into what makes yeah. the Bond and DNA it, work. I, I do think that's what, I gotta, what I'm getting at, but like, really it's like the Bond franchise has really been a melting pot of these directors all adding their stuff in. And I think, especially because, again, they all most of them have multiple films in that early era, and then the directors that go in post-Cubby in that Brazen era just kind of take that ball and run with it. And I think that that's what kind of what makes... Bond unique in many ways. Yeah. And, and in terms of a directing thing, it definitely makes it unique in terms of stepping into those shoes. Yeah. And and, and it's what's going to make it interesting seeing this Fukunaga one and then going interesting because, and while I don't think it has proven to be a complete negative, I do feel like right now the Bond franchise kind of has that concern of becoming so much of the icon that it's kind of maybe getting in in the way of itself a a little bit i really i think it's going to be very interesting to see what fuganagua brings because you know it's one of those things too though where it's like yes fuganagua is definitely that name and they definitely think he's going to put his influence on the film but bond 25 has also been a movie that's definitely been through a lot of different iterations and, you know, it had Boyle on it, Danny Boyle on it, and then he left, and then Fukunaga was coming in, and they delayed the movie a couple times. It's like, yes. Oh, we forgot. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Sorry to interrupt, but Danny Boyle may have been, like, 
one of the biggest names names that they would have had because i think at the time that's what was so exciting to people because it was such like a huge name the director Mm -hmm. field that so it it is funny that they almost had one like that i mean it's like it's not to say that they haven't discussed it like i i think i've mentioned before like you know their first you know foray into like one of the early forays into possibly doing american directors was like john landis who had done the blues brothers and and animal house and stuff like that kind of bringing him in to do another dalton you know early career like steven spielberg which wasn't a big name but it would have been kind of a, a retrospect like type of thing right, and, and right. i definitely like the 90s they definitely had you know you know they kind of they could have gotten peter jackson pre lord of the rings like kind of like mm-hmm. but, but peter jackson's a perfect peter jackson in that era is the perfect type of director they're looking for it's like a yeah, director that's like He's done some really notable things. He's been Oscar nominated for Heavenly Creatures, and like you know, he's but he's kind of done these weird little horror things from New Zealand. Oh, he, he kind of can bring his own voice, and then you know, yeah, Barbara Broccoli didn't like the Frighteners, so yeah. <laughs> she, she's still wrong on that. But like that's kind of like you know they they've definitely flirted with the pre names before they've gotten there. But it's like yeah, Boyle definitely would have been one of those one of those bigger you know names because just like you know just like. Mendez, he's like Oscar non, but he definitely has a little bit more kind of probably pop culture play in some senses of the word. I would also say his movies are probably a little bit more in the in the mainstream. In, in the mainstream, yeah. yeah there, there, there's um, that as well. But I think I think the thing about Fukunaga was be interesting to see because it because it's very much like there's a lot of pressure on that him coming in and basically being like, hey, this is like wrapping up the Craig era, right? And, and kind of still putting a unique spin on it. I think that. Just visually, I think it's going to be a striking movie, um, and I think that it kind of it feels like it's taking that Mendez blockbuster feel and kind of even upping it in some senses, just based on how the action looks in the trailers and how they've kind of been promoting the movie. Um, but it's going to be interesting in that sense to see how this one turns out, and then you know where they go director wise from here. So this is like the thing, though, for me, it's so. It really is difficult to yeah. like find a good fit for a Bond film, I think. Yeah. I I don't disagree on this. Because creative wise, the only and this kind of and I've been hyping this up and how much I wish it was just like a full thing, but just on the creative side of things, somebody like a Phoebe Waller Bridge writing it mm-hmm. uh was something that really interests me based off of her previous work. Um but it's hard because I'm, I'm trying to find that happy balance between what they could realistically do and my own dreams, as it were. I think it, the because I was thinking about this too because I'm very much like I don't want like a Nolan or a Wright to like do a Bond movie. It's interesting that that would be kind of like it's kind of in the sense that like I would like to see an alternate universe where that happens. Like I would like this. I would like to see. The old, I, I don't want to necessarily have Tarantino's version of Casino Royale in this universe, but yeah. I kind of want to peek and see like what that would be like. I just don't want to spend the time on that. I, but I got to be honest, my hot take is that I'm I'm kind of over the whole get big. Like, no, I, 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 that's what I'm saying. Big like film lovers director to do franchise because I think it's just like all I'll say this. You want your Tarantinos, you want your rights, you want all of your, you want your Nolans, you want them to do their movies. Yeah. Like, those are the movies yeah. that you no, want I, them to do. I agree with they, you. They're always going to be the mo- the happiest and do their best work doing their own thing. 
And that's not a knock on either one of like doing that or doing a franchise. It's like there's some people. And there may be some suggestions I would give, like while we're recording this, that I think have could easily fit into into this franchise uh, and be good fits yeah. and bring artistry to it uh, as well. So I, I'm with you on that one. Like, but I, so it's I, like I'm I kind of like it's more so like the morbid curiosity of like what that would be more so than actually seeing it. I guess that's sure. like kind of the thing. Sure. Though, because, I, but but here's the problem. You my issue with that is that it you dangerously get into like well when like when people want like a Tarantino right like Bond movie. Like, do you really want that, or are you just thinking of the SNL skit of somebody like, oh, it's Bond, but Tarantino. they're talking about Royale with cheat? Like, you know, you're just yeah. thinking about it like through right, like that I, lens. It's it's one of those things where I do think that there's certain directors that like it's just they're not gonna fit within that system. Like Tarantino needs to make his own movie. Like when he was gonna do Casino Royale, it was because the rights were up in the air, and if like he could just get the rights and just right. make his movie that he wanted to make it, then sure. Like Tarantino's not gonna fit within, you know. He he flirted with that. We talked about it with Man with Uncle in that era. Like, sure. Tarantino flirted with that period of his life with the, the Man from Uncle and Silver Surfer and Green Lantern all in the nineties, right. and then he decided to do Jackie Brown, and and then that transitioned into Kill Bill, and that's really where he found his his true like. It would be voice. different if one of these directors would come in and make one of these movies that didn't have any of the trappings that they have done before. And I know that may sound counterproductive or counterintuitive to what people want, but that would be the most interesting thing to me. Yeah, It's like, you know, if you got Edgar Wright to do his thing, but it didn't have ev- any of the Edgar Wright-isms, yeah. that would be interesting. Well, it's just because Edgar Wright's an interesting thing because I think, like, you know, when you look at it'll be interesting to see what his next film's like. But when you look at like Baby Driver in comparison to like the Cornetto trilogy, like yeah. Baby Driver is a little bit more of a straightforward like kind of film directing. Sure, like, it still sure. has its visual trappings. Yeah, but it doesn't do all the like the the very Edgar like the things we think about Edgar Wright. Sure. It's very much in that sense. But like really in that sense, honestly, what you're really leading towards with any of those types of directors is you're essentially going to be eventually. You're gonna run into a Edgar Wright Ant Man situation, sure. Where just the things aren't gonna line up. One person's gonna do their vision. The producers want to kind of keep it a little bit more Bondish, and that's what's gonna. Oh, happen. especially something with like Bond that yeah. has the legacy producers yeah. on it, and they they ultimately do call the shots. It, it just is how it is. Now, I was thinking about like directors or directing wise, and I genuinely would like to see a female director for a. Bond oh, me movie. too. I definitely want one. And I definitely think, like, there are definitely... Because it's like, you know, I think even after this one, you know, they've kind of broken the American barrier, so they could, you know, bring in American barrier. But I still think they're probably going to look British or New Zealand, which is traditionally where they go. There's definitely a lot of, like, female directors that fit their traditional kind of lower, like, not as big names that way. Like I was look, I was just looking at a list of just like the examples of this, and there's like you have like Andrea Arnold, who like is like longtime female British director, but she directed like that film American Honey a couple years ago with mm-hmm. Shia LaBeouf. She did the second season, directed the second season of Little Big Little Lies. Like mm-hmm. that's exactly the type of person they're looking for. Or like Lynn Ramsey, which probably isn't someone who wouldn't do it, but she did like We Need to Talk About Kevin and mm-hmm. and uh, that that other movie Walking Phoenix like two years ago. But that's like again that type of person, or even. I mean, uh, the 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 girl, the New Zealand girl who's doing um, 
the live action Mulan. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they would take her after doing that Mulan. It kind of maybe depends on how the movie does. But she did Whale Rider all those years ago in right. 2002. And again, that's the exact type of movie that like Barbara Broccoli loves. And mm. I was uh, kind of looking for that stuff. So I think like that that's the hard part about really realistically taking a Bond director. But I do think like if you there's definitely like female directors out there. Like that's just a list of just like three that I found and definitely have like credits to their name, have have worked on these movies for a long time. And again, fits into that thing where it's like they don't necessarily have the action film pedigree. They don't really necessarily have that experience, but that's kind of really sometimes what they look for. No, I mean, I'm 100% with you in terms of that's what I want to see. My brain... And I and I look and I looked it up to see like who could I honestly who would I honestly want to see for the part and unfortunately my brain couldn't really think of like a name that I could like 100% get behind and that's you know part of the problem but um that that was I because my big thing is I'm a big believer of for instance if I had any sense that Jordan Peele was interested in doing like an action type movie yeah. That I'm not saying him specifically, but that type of voice and vision would be somebody that I would be the most right. interested in Bond. And yeah. the reason I say that is because I do 100% believe in the notion that if you get different types of directors who have different types of backgrounds, especially for something in the Bond franchise that could use something like that, I think you could get an interesting movie about it. So I think if you had like a female director or like, and again, People may be mad at me about saying this, but anything other than just like, you know, white guys making Bond films and coming in and doing all the Bond things, I just think it wouldn't hurt to maybe add a different perspective and a different voice because at the end of the day, I think that's what it is. I think that the Bond directors have all individually brought story elements and craft that has helped uh, propel this franchise forward. Mm-hmm. I do believe that. I've always struggled if any of these films have had anything very personal or unique to say. And I think that if you open up the 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 view of the types of people that you yeah. get, I think that could help out. The other thing that's I will my soapbox. The other thing I will say, and this is because we won't do a full episode on this, but I do think it's something to bring up as well. In tandem with getting interesting directors, I would like to see whatever the next Bond film is. I would like to see a little bit of a refresh on writing as well. Because when you really look at the history of Bond writing in tandem with these directors... Well, that's why the the Phoebe Waller-Bridge thing... Is like so possibly exciting. But the thing about this is like, you know, you have... You know, a majority of those early Bond films are like written by... Richard Maybaum, Michael G. Wilson, or that brief period in the middle with Tom Mankiewicz. Like, that's basically the history of your Bond writing team there. Once you get to, you know, that, you know, world, post-world is not enough, you basically have the writing team of Purpose and Wade on all of these movies. From World is Not Enough to, you know, No Time to Die is basically all their stuff. With like, yeah, other writers have rewritten their stuff, but they basically have a big part of all of that. And I do feel like that's a little bit of where even the Craig era is kind of stagnated. When you have this writing team that's been together on these Bond films for over 20 years now, it's just to a point where it's like, you just, I just need a fresh voice in the room. And I feel like 
you can definitely get that from a directing side. You know, if you get like a, you know, kind of an up and coming or a female director that's been around a while, done some independent cinema, you know, kind of a Patty Jenkins type um, or, or a Jordan Peele type, like any of that stuff would be definitely really good. Definitely bring something unique. And then you pair it up with kind of a fresh voice to kind of, you know, take that Bond legacy, but again, add that little new spin to it. I feel like that's the direction needs the franchise to go because the biggest worry about, yeah, the biggest worry about once you do your new Bond is it's the same old restart it's always been. And yes, you can still do stuff with that. You can still make it a little bit lighter. You can still make it a little bit more Brosnan-y or a little bit more, you know, Connery-ish, like a little bit more kind of that humor in there. I think that's what I hope they do, a little bit more Marvel-ish in that sense. But if you're still getting, you know, the same type of director, the same writing team, there's that's going to be that sense of like, is this really a refresh? And I feel like, that's what I would most like to see. Just like a fresh director and a fresh writing team bring something new to Bond. Well, because, and I can already hear, I can already hear the wonderful internet responding uh, to my comments. But the reason I say it is, especially like if you look at, like for instance, going back to the Jordan Peele example, you look at a movie like Us, because here's the issue that people will always bring up. Idiots, I should say, bring it up. Like, if I mention that, like, oh, maybe it would be interesting if you get, like, a female director or, or get, like, more diverse, uh, a, a more diverse creative team yeah. or somebody from a different place. But, you know, also, like, but if you get somebody from a completely different place, like, if you got Neil Blomkamp to do, like, a Bond movie. Right. Like, that, honestly, I would take that. That kind of goes a little bit into because Neil Blomkamp is definitely not a fit fit into a mold type of guy like he's putting bond right into south africa and he's going to be talking about south african problems and you know but you know as much as i joke about that even that would be welcome because because again like the whole history of Bond, like other than in terms of eon other than fuganagua it's all been from the british commonwealth which is basically all the places that britain has owned at one point or another so it's been britain new zealand and canada like right. have been like where you get your directors from, but uh, and even the Canadian one was technically born in Canada, raised in Britain. So it's like you basically have Britain and New Zealand. That's where you've always gotten your directors. So getting like you know, if not like a female director, of course, I mean, you could still get a female uh, South African director. You can get, yeah. get a female, you know, Asian like, is, Japanese director. Like if yeah. you got this somewhere in. <laughs> Get that. Get the get the Evangelion team back on board. Yeah. The, the, Shin the point, Bond. The point is, is that it's it's very easy for idiots to come at this and being like and translate what I'm saying is that I want to see quote unquote I don't know what what are they saying now woke Bond or something woke like that. Bond. But that's yeah. not no 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 that's not what I'm saying. Bond can still be a misogynist. <laughs> Probably we shouldn't be that way anymore. But you know, like it's true. It's true. Maybe hey, maybe you get some lady director on there who who likes that about him. Who knows? But the 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 point is is like it's not about having this quote unquote like wokeness or whatever. It's just getting a more diverse group of people in the room because because frankly put, like you know, you have the broccolis getting a team of people, and I think it's just evident in the material that they could be a little bit more. Uh, unique and different in in their cat in their casting, yeah. as opposed to just getting uh, a similar 
you know, I mean, is what I'm saying making sense? Yeah, it, yeah, especially with the next one because this would be different if we were talking about like, oh, we know, like this would be different if we were talking about if we had this exact discussion post Spectre and we knew, okay, we have one more Craig film coming. Like at at the point we did, it would be a little bit different. If we were talking about oh, who's going to direct the next Craig film, but it, it, you know, you're next time you're establishing the new direction for the franchise. You're establishing the new 007, and at that point, it's just. You know, unless you get a Laz and B situation where the person just decides to be one and done, that's you're establishing the next five, seven, ten years, the next decade of Bond yeah. with whatever choices you make in that first one. I mean, and that's what we've talked about with the importance of those first Bonds. When we talk about Casino Royale, GoldenEye, Living Daylights, you know, Dr. No, and even, like I said, the Gilbert's reset on Spy Love Me, which defines kind of that rest of that more era in a lot of ways. Like, you really are kind of doing a big reset on everything Bond. Like, still taking the things that make Bond Bond, but you're really establishing the tone, establishing the style, establishing the mood. And getting, you know, doing something unique in that first one will only serve to hopefully, you know, make a unique set of films. I, I think when you get somebody like Ryan Coogler to do Black Panther who adds those little levels of of flavor mm-hmm. because of like you know look at his background look, look where he came from and again even using the Neil Blomkamp example look at like his background where he came from yeah. look how he makes movies there's just a level of like let's say you make Bun I'm not saying you have to make it anything about like it, and again it's counterproductive to even assume that when I mean like bring on like you know let's say and like a like a black director that now it's all going to be about like you know black problems or whatever. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying, but it could be interesting for somebody with a different background to be like okay, so Bond the social issues in Bond because Bond does touch on like some social or governmental or world issues maybe will be a little bit more different and nuanced than yeah. the satellites are bad. Right. <laughs> You, right. just, because just, like that's really where we are with with the Bond franchise is that computers are scary and you're an old dinosaur Bond yeah. except when you're not <laughs> like so yeah. it, that's all I'm saying diversity yeah. in the in the casting and just a little bit more outside the box thinking yeah. with the now well, it's just like like a different perspective it's just like again you have those opportunities within the Bond world because especially you're not using the source material much these days. You are basically creating all new, unique Bond adventures. Like that does give you an opportunity, and, and especially because Bond's the world traveler. Like that—that's the whole thing. Is like you can go anywhere in the world, and technically we can go back to outer space, guys. That's not something we have to ignore anymore. We can go back to space, um, but we we have the whole world to play with, and so just getting that different perspective just even means that. You can really take a look at the world through Bond's eyes in a different way, and you can you can kind of like if if Blancamp does send Bond to South Africa, then you can he he can take Bond in a unique South African you know authentic experience. Yeah, and that would be cool. You know what? Get Neil Blomkamp to do a Bond movie. Do it. <laughs> the Blomkamp Resurrection. Yeah, I like that. I have some names that, like, if if I had my complete fan casting of like director yeah. di- director names, I mean, is anybody want to mention? Yeah, I mean, like, listen, I I actually think if you were to say like any of these names, it would get me excited because this is kind of like now more into the level of like here's here it's a combination of what I would really want to see and what would make me excited. Like, honestly, like I think that 
if you got Lord and Miller to do a Bond movie, that would be 100% what I want. And the reason I say that, though, is because clearly these guys were interested in doing something a little bit more straight-laced when they did Han Solo or yeah. when they were going to do Solo. I know there was all the, the rigmarole and all the complications about what happened that none of us know about, but... And who knows, it could have been like maybe they were leaning a little bit more into their funny. I mean, I doubt that they were just going in and making 21 Jump Street as as a Star Wars movie. But I'm of the opinion where right now I can take my bomb with a little bit of a serious plot line that's ultimately funny. That's where I'm at with my bomb. I I mean, that's all I'm asking for. If we were to go for the complete film Twitter casting of it, get Nolan out of here. Don't want him. I'm I'm, I'm still on that. Be a boring bond movie i would think yeah i would say if you got like denis villeneuve to to do a bond film and here's why i say that because denis villeneuve is probably the more interesting christopher nolan um i said it can you tweet that please (laughs) (laughs) because think about it this way like because the there is a there is a thing, and I'm actually looking forward to to Tenet, the the new Christopher Nolan movie, yeah. and, and I haven't soured on Christopher Nolan movies, but I still I've come around to Christopher Nolan where there is such a specific feel and style and tone to all these movies, and some of that tone is very joyless. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, Christopher Christopher Nolan used to be like your favorite director. Yeah. I yeah, that's true, and there's a level of like the last thing I want my Bond movie is to be joyless and. Not to say that Denis makes funny movies. It would actually tonally probably not be the movie that I would ultimately want. But Denis Villeneuve basically makes Nolan movies, but they look prettier and they're more entertaining at, t- at times. Like there, there, there's a certain unique tone that he has in all of his yeah. movies. Like if you take like like Blade Runner twenty forty nine, uh, which has uh you know some of the artistry. If you took some of the artistry of like 2049 and then took some of like the in Sicario was another film he did. If you took like, uh, I'm right about that. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not mixing up. I'm not mixing up directors. Am I, you should know movies, Nick. What's wrong with you? What do you got to look at your phone for? That's right. I'm calling you out. <laughs> I'm going mean, to, I'm going to, I'm going to like take the attention off of me. Not remembering yeah, if you did directed do Sicario. Yeah. yeah. But if you took like that not day of the Salado though, no, uh, but if you took, uh, if you combine those two movies, like to me, that's like an interesting way to like approach a Bond movie mm-hmm. because you can definitely because his realism to me is at least more earned and entertaining and different for Bond movie than what Nolan's realism would be. Yeah, because Nolan's realism would be would be that kind of like. It's going to be real, but I'm still going to kind of do some of the more outlandish stuff, and it makes the outlandish stuff look even more dumb. If that makes sense. Yeah. Whereas I feel like Denis Villeneuve would just be like, no, this is like a stripped down real world bond. Like, and we're not going to like, so, and I feel like that would just be more interesting to me. Yeah. The number one choice that I would say that would probably blend the, the two together the best and probably be, uh, the most accurate, uh, um, not accurate, but I would, I would think it's just like the best choice for what I'm thinking of is probably somebody like Brad Bird. Um, because I think Brad Bird to me, um, when, you know, he isn't making, when he isn't making movies about, you know, uh, his, his, his weird, uh, 
his his weird um uh I, I don't know how do you how do you say it his weird exceptionalism like uh obsession but uh I mean his uh his he uh he did um Ghost Protocol yeah which is one of my favorite uh Mission Impossible movies and that movie was of he has shown himself to be a person who can make a thoroughly enjoying action film it have just the right amount of like fun and color to it that I think would fit directly into a Bond film itself. And he does, I think, that penchant for wanting to delve into like some of the more big world issues would fit right at home with Bond. So those would kind of be some of my suggestions. Little all over the map. Frankly, I had kind of a little bit of issue trying to think about yeah. like who would I actually want because yeah. it's hard to determine. Very much, that. I, I that's why I went with just the female director and named like those kind of those three. Yeah, just because and, like, and I'm like, com- like that's the type of stuff they're going to be looking for, and I'd rather them kind of continue to take kind of out there directors like just people that people aren't talking about. Me too, and and that's why I wanted to preface it by saying this is the complete film yeah. like film person nerd like casting that would not happen and is not like, oh, get Tarantino to do it. Like right. these would be actual names yeah. that, oh, these are mainstream names, but these would actually be more interesting right. to me. Uh, two quick tangents just based on what you said. First of all, I, I do want to say that I have known Will long enough that I got to see the whole arc of him loving Christopher Nolan. And then, <laughs> and then I, I got to see, the Dark Knight Rises Interstellar era where he basically had a kind of a crisis of conscience about like, do I like Christopher Nolan? Uh, and Remember that, that period where I'm like, I'm going to go watch The Dark Knight to make sure I like it still? Yes. Remember? I think that was an actual quote of mine yeah, at one point. Yeah. And then when you said Lord and Miller Bond, the only thing I could think about was Lego Bond. That's the only thing. That's the only... Like, I know like they have... like They will eventually do more live action films. I'm sure there's something in the works for them. But I could only think about like Lego Bond. It's essentially Lego Batman, where you get all the Bond villains together. Yes. And, like, and oh then, my God, I want that. I, I want that. There's no Lego Bond sets yet, though. I mean, Lego ideas. No, no, that's not true. They have the uh, oh, the Aston, Aston Martin. Martin. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Like, that. there's no like, there's no like set sets. Yeah. There's no Bond minifigure. I don't believe. I don't think it comes. I don't think that no. one comes with one. Um, but truthfully, Barbara, if you're listening. We are available. <laughs> I know, I know and Will's an editor. Yeah. So you can kind of take, we get John. That's Glenn. true. It's, it's right. It's, it's right in line. John, Peter R. Hunt, John Glenn, that history will take his editing prowess. And How do you feel about nano machines? That remember that was in the Dalton script. Yep. That was in the '90s Dalton script. That is definitely an idea that should come back. How have nano machine? It, it's that's one of those things where how have those not been in these Bond films yet? It it really I really just. If if the Brosnan era had gone one more film, most more likely. You know what I would like to see? I would like to see Hideo Kojima do a James Bond video game. <laughs> Just one hundred per. Wait, could you imagine? Because he's been wanting to do movies. Can you imagine if that's the first movie he did? But that's a see. That's a name where I one hundred percent want to see all the trappings. All the Kojima isms, like just on screen <laughs> in a Bond film. God, that, I mean, I guess Snake Eater is kind of already like his Bond, right? Like that. That's somewhat, kinda, yeah. But like, I that's first in line for that movie. <laughs> Abs- Hideo Kojima's Bond. I am all 
over just that. Just the weird tangents people, and character quirks. They're not ready. The world's no, not ready for cause, it. Because that's the thing about like like Kojima definitely had like is like the one of the really true auteurs of video games. Like you know, in a world where kind of video game directors are kind of sometimes all over, like like Shir- Shigeru Miyamoto and Hide- Hide- Kojima are like the auteurs, right? And Kojima just Kojima doing any like major film, like film Twitter just reacting to it would be uh, I I wanted, crazy. I I once described Kojima as an artist as one of those artists that you one hundred percent have to meet on his level. Like somebody, I think they were playing like Death Stranding or something, and I was explaining like what his thing was. He's like, yeah, he's like, you kind of have to like, it's like you know, he's kind of got like a little. Uh, well, they basically said it's like so. Like, I forget exactly what the comment was. I'm butchering it, but that's what I said. It's like you have to meet him on right. his nonsense level. Like, it would just be so awful. Like, because he's, you know, with with Death Stranding, he just was able to, because like Metal Gear when he did Metal Gear and Metal Gear Solid, he basically was still like he he would do his avant garde stuff, but he was still kind of playing within like kind of the rules in a sense. Like Death Stranding, once he got his own studio and basically had nobody to answer to, that's just one of those situations where he's absolutely like, I am just that's I'm going full Kojima. And I mean for him to go full Kojima on like any franchise. Like Kojima doing Bond, Kojima doing like Star Trek, like any of that stuff would be like incredible to me. I gotta tell you, like if Kojima did it, then that girl definitely was psychic. Like oh, yeah. A, yeah, like a right. Kojima doing that movie, like that that would be. So, oh yeah, the chick is actually psychic. <laughs> oh yeah, so live and let die. Because yeah, like guy was basically like implying it, but didn't really outright say it. Giving you a little bit of like giving the like the wills of the world a little bit of wiggle room, even though he clearly thinks that woman has psychic powers. That Bond fucked out of her. No, you think she had. Don't turn this around. You think she had psychic powers. I think. Glenn, I think. She, I think it's nonsense to think that she had psychic powers. Glenn, Guy Hamilton definitely directed that movie with the intention of you believe she has psychic powers. That is crazy. That is absurd. And the only reason I say that is because Baron Samadhi also exists in this film. <laughs> if it's one or the other, I can see it. Both of them together, it's a little suspicious to me. Hmm. I'm just you just mentioning that character. I was like thinking. I think we probably talked about if that character came back. Oh yeah, yeah. That'd yeah. be really funny. That'd be good. That would be a great cameo in Lego James Bond. Um, what do you think about like if, if I was thinking about this for a second? If 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 there was a situation, if there was like a Ragnarok situation with Craig, and Craig got like Ryan Johnson to come in and do a Bond film. And it's that same kind of vibe where it's like, because Ragnarok had that, like, Hemsworth was very open about really welcoming Taika into doing it, really kind of just as much as Taika having that vision for what he wanted to do with the character um, and, like, you know, kind of, like, loosening up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, like, what if, like, Craig's, like, just welcoming Ryan Johnson in with open arms and then they're like, all right, we're going to, like, let Bond cut loose a little bit we're gonna be funny because I have to be honest. I, I'm not quite in the in the in the punch bowl for Ryan Johnson as much as everybody is. I I think he's a fine director. I'm, I'm not quite as enamored with his work in in, in the yeah. same way that everybody else is. But that those circumstances would definitely yeah. get me on board. 
random hypothetical that means nothing is just something I was thinking. I mean, about. I I think um, I think a look at Knives Out is definitely in order on this podcast. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I'm looking forward to watching it. Um, do we have anything else to say about directors? Uh, I think I've gotten my 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 all it all off my chest. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it is a very interesting history of directors, I, I would say. I, yeah. It's it's Each director has somewhat of a unique story about how they brought on board, but I do think ultimately it is a, it is a feat that all of these directors have, all of their little tiny quirks have just uh, yeah. resulted in this. In Bond. In, yeah, and it's, it, and it's something not to be ignored. I agree. Yeah. All right, well, that I guess that wraps up us for our deep dive of this the the yeah. first of the year. Yeah, uh, James James Bond, James, James Bond, style. Band. and uh, we will dive back into Bond one day, someday. I mean, next a, month. A, well, <laughs> well, I mean, like, yeah, because I mean, technically, when it turns back to Bond, it's going to be till April, but we will do more Bond episodes. Um, with Bond movie, I should say, but we will do we'll do Bond deep dive in March and. We'll do the Bond actors in April. That'll probably be the the best way to do the deep dive. We'll just go right off of No Time to Die, and then who knows what happens after that. Cool. Um, so in the meantime, you can go check out our other episodes. We just got finished uh, recording and releasing the whole thing, not just recording, yeah. not just releasing. The whole process of unveiling uh, our most recent James Bond episode in which we talk about The Man from U.N.C.L.E., which... Uh, was a fun chat a fun movie to watch and i suggest you go listen to it yeah um and then uh stay tuned for our next episode in which we don't talk about james bond we talk about godzilla but we don't talk Uh, about godzilla yeah we're not even talking about godzilla this time we are going to be talking about uh the giant turtle gamera always plugging those next episodes yep um so and and flash corner right after that yep so until next time i'm i'm will and i'm nick and you're nick and uh i'm out direct to that. <laughs> <laughs>